y'all. Welcome to Book World, The Great Escape. I'm author C.J. Peterson, and my co-host over here is author Michael Scott Clifton. Today, we have author Ben Wakes joining us today. Uh, but before we get there, Mike, how was your weekend? It's been a wet one, but it's, it's been a, a great week. Last Friday, our son Brett graduated from the Southwest Graduate Banking School. Oh, awesome. Uh, Swaz, Swazby on the SMU campus uh, from the, in the President Bush Institute. And he worked for First Financial. He started out as a teller and worked his way up and to, to a senior vice president. And this was a three-year three -year banking program that he was in. And the graduation ceremonies were, were held at the President Bush Institute there on the SMU campus last Friday. So my wife and I and, and my daughter, Holly, we all went to watch him graduate. So very proud of my son. Like I said, he worked his way up to a senior vice president position and also graduated from one of the few banking schools uh, in the country. So very awesome. proud of him. Congratulations. You're watching. And next week, Melly and I will be, um, it's not really our first Comic-Con, but I'm going to count it as one because the first one that we went to was way back two weeks after Christmas in January. And it'll be the Mississippi Comic Con in Jackson, Mississippi. It'll be a two-day con on Saturday and Sunday, and it will be at the Mississippi um, Mississippi Mart Complex. And uh, it'll be our first time to be there. But I've met a lot of uh, uh, vendors at other Comic Cons, and um, and they say it's great. And so we're looking forward to that. Uh, Julie Brock says hi. Hi, Julie. Um, yeah, this weekend for us, we went to Fan Expo Dallas. It was my birthday celebration weekend, and I had one goal in mind, and that was to get the autograph of Joseph Quinn. <laughs> for anybody who has been following Fan Expo Dallas, there's been a, a lot that has been said. Let's put it that way. Um, feel free to check out the Magic Making Mischief podcast from this morning at 11 to find out how I reviewed it and what we had to say and what some of those who were there as well also piped, chimed in via YouTube. Check out what they had to say. Um, we all think it was bad. It was rough. It was. But would I do it again? Absolutely. Um, it was super crowded and the air conditioner had broken. So by the time it hit like two o'clock, people were getting kind of testy. And with that many people and the testiness, I couldn't breathe. And so I'm like, we need to go home. So we went home super early. Um, but on the way home, those lovely storms that you've been talking about, yeah. we were literally just slightly in front of one of them. Like it looked like some were like funneled crap, funnel mm. clouds that didn't quite drop, but they were there. They were starting. And we were super nervous about getting home. But we got home safely. We got home Saturday and rested Sunday. So that was cool. Um, we are done with Comic Cons till the fall though. So it's it's going to give us a nice break on the in-between. Um, so Mr. Weeks is joining us today. Howdy, sir. Good to be here. Thank you for having me. I appreciate this. Awesome. For those who don't know, you can then give them like a brief overview of who you are and what you do. Uh, I am a author of historical fiction, coming of age stories. I got a couple of uh, short story collections out, uh, a novel, uh, a novelette. Uh, I'm also the host of a podcast called The Voice of Indy, and I am an editor and a video and audio producer for Fresh Ink Group. 
Awesome. Yeah, we had your partner on last week. Yeah, and I I, I live in uh, Michigan, uh, born and raised in Michigan my whole life, 56 years old. Uh, but I did spend two years back in the 80s uh, living in Florida, Fort Myers. And, uh, nice. It was a good time down there. So what got you started writing? I've been writing my whole life. Uh, it's my, I guess I can go back to my first grade teacher introduced me to the love of reading. Mm-hmm. And then my third grade teacher to writing short stories, she had us write short stories and I just fell in love with, I can take these words and actually make something out of them, make them characters and stories and, and plots and things. And so I just, uh, uh, when I was in fifth grade, I uh, had another teacher that encouraged us to write and to just be creative. Um, and a friend, uh, a friend of mine, we ended up writing a uh, short play. And oh, cool. the teacher decided, hey, let's put this on. Let's cast it and put it on for the whole school. <laughs> so that is cool. it was great. I was a co-writer of a play that got got produced. So uh, sure that's a nice boost. Yeah. Um, and then when I was in high school, uh, I wrote for the school newspaper. I wrote mm-hmm. uh, mostly uh, record reviews and concert reviews. I'm a big mm-hmm. music fan and uh, I did some other uh, articles as well, but it was mostly the entertainment stuff. And I just I've, I've loved writing my whole life. Very cool. So we're talking specifically about historical fiction. What appeals to you regarding historical fiction? Time frames, just uh, times that could be times that I, I lived in or times before me. Uh, my novel, Jazz Baby, that's set in 1925. Obviously, I didn't live back then, but it was fun to, number one, research those eras. Number two, recall a lot of the stories that my grandparents told me. My grandfather and my grandmother both uh, were fantastic storytellers. My grandfather was a writer and my father was a writer. And then I just wow. kind of followed along as well. Mm. And my grandfather, I mean, he had all kinds of cool stories from the from the 20s uh, the, in the 30s. He was born in 1912, which was the same year that my character, uh, Emily, and Jazz Baby was born. And uh, just a lot of the stuff that he talked about ended up not necessarily being, you know, those stories, but the basis for those stories. Um, you know, he was born in the South, and uh, that's where I set the book at, and just what was going on then in that time period. It, it just, I, I, I love history. I'm a history buff. I was about um, to ask that. <laughs> I'm right now I'm, I'm nearly finished with one that's set in 1910. Mm-hmm. And uh, then I've got another one that I'm two thirds of the way through that's set in 1977. So I'll jump around. See, I lived in 1977. I remember that era. So <laughs> I, there's a lot of stuff that comes to mind, what kids were doing back then. I was yeah. Too, so. Yeah. So well, when you write I just love the different time periods. That's my thing. When I jumped in, I did decided to try the challenge of a historical fiction, but I'm a sci-fi geek. So I put the spin of it being for time travel, but I'm also a history buff. So I was able to do like 1813. I did 1922. And then I did 1987 when I was alive and in school. (laughs) So we're able to draw it off of that. But I like the challenge of historical fiction because yeah. it's like, oh, was that invented yet or was it not? Um, history wise. Stories but, there. <laughs> yeah. So how much history do you actual history do you put into your 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 books and your short stories uh, meme as opposed and how much of is it how much in other words, how true to the time and age do you try to be even oh, though I try to be I try to be 
perfectly true to it. Um, I, you know, 1925, she's not jumping into a Corvette and driving off. Oh, she forgot her cell phone. She better run back and get it. But uh, talking about the story is like, I wrote this, this scene and it was really cool. You know, the character's going into uh, New Orleans. She's going to sing uh, jazz at this, this speakeasy uh, for the first time. And she's got the radio on in the car. It's 1925 and she's singing along to all these songs. And it was written to where she knows all of these songs, all of them. And she sings them better than some of these people on the radio. Then I'm watching this show right maybe a week after writing that scene and i'm watching this show on the history channel and they're talking about car radios weren't didn't come along until about 1929 and they didn't become standard until about the mid-1930s because they were so expensive that those first ones they were more expensive than the cars themselves so i went back and had to rewrite that scene got rid of the radio but it made me use some dialogue and we got deeper into what makes this girl tick and the guy that's driving her across the, the bridge into New Orleans, you know, what's going on with him. And it just, it turned out for the better, but yeah, accurate. I want to be accurate. I don't want somebody yeah. to say, you know, I read your story because shortly after I had finished jazz baby, I was reading a book from a Texas writer uh, and I'm forgetting what his name is. Uh, but he was had a big time contract with a, one of the big publishing houses, and he wrote a story set in 1922. And these characters were always driving around Texas, listening to the radio. And I was like, ah, I knew better by then. You got that wrong. Yeah, it's really interesting you mentioned. It's interesting you mentioned that at uh, one of the Northeast Texas Writers Spring Conference, which CJ has, has presented at a, a couple of different times. We've had someone who actually is uh, is hired by writers and authors who looks at their who write historical fiction from romance to uh, you know to thrillers, and basically he uh, he he reads their manuscript and he goes through and says, well, this wasn't accurate, you know, this wasn't as you were saying, like for example, radio when the radios weren't invented yet. And um, and he he used as a prop a book cover for one of those bodice buster romances. In the back was a castle, and uh, the character, of course, bare chested naturally, but had a had a uh, saber or something, you know, uh, a, a weapon. And the weapon wasn't period correct to the time of the story. Never were the clothes that what little they were wearing. <laughs> period correct so that's why i was just curious you know just how how close to the bone do you play it with historical fiction oh yeah i try to be as accurate as possible i do a lot of research get online and all that plus i have a stack of uh magazines from like the 19 teens and 1920s that i got at a garage sale and so and a lot of them have the clothing ads and things like that in it so i know what you know they wore back then and I, i try to go by that it's not easy. Like for the 1813, no. my character's coming from like 2026. We didn't have bubby pins back then. So it's like you had to figure out, you know, mm. and then the 1922s, I had to make sure, okay, were the Gideon Bibles in the hotels at that point? Yes, they had actually just started, you know, putting them there. And so it's like trying to make sure that things that we take for granted every day now, it's like, when did they actually start? Yeah. People joke that Betty White is was older than sliced bread. Technically, she was. <laughs> it's like, yeah, you know, when did that stuff actually start to happen that we considered as normal everyday things? It's like, 
you know, when did they actually start and was it at the time that you're writing or not? Yeah. Well, being a history buff really helps because mm -hmm. I, I've, I've watched, I've watched a lot of the history channel, uh, read a lot of historical, you know, magazine articles and things like that, that I tend to remember. I, I absorb a lot of that stuff. And if I'm not sure, Google. <laughs> exactly. uh, there you go. Um, G. Greenwell says Beams research in, even includes how they spoke there and then diction, sayings, et cetera, which makes the dialogue very ring very true. And yeah. that is something you know you got to watch out for too is my, what was the slang. Yeah. My grandmother was born in uh, uh, Mississippi and then she moved to Arkansas where my grandfather lived and they got married. And uh, my grandmother's dialect she just the things that she would say was straight out of Mississippi. So when you in reading jazz baby, when you're listening to some of the things that Emily says, some of the slang, that's my grandmother. Very cool. Well, and it's, it's hard unless you know somebody there. Sometimes you can look up, like sometimes I would look up like the slang terms and be like, Oh, that's a good one. So yeah. how much you mentioned before that you were a Christian, how much of that flows over into your stories? Mm -hmm. Uh, in some of the short stories, uh, there's, there's a lot of the good versus evil or the, you know, the lesson learned kind of tale. Mm -hmm. Uh, and, and much of my writing though, it's, it's secular writing. I'm just writing to tell stories. Um, maybe right. someday I'll write a short story collection. That's all Christian based. I've actually thought about that. That's cool. But most of my writing is just, it's secular. So being, we ask this of every author. Uh, are you a planner or are you a pantser when it comes to your? Oh, I'm a planner. I'm a planner. I'm I'm like Mr. G's last week spoke about. I'm 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 not as uh, in deeply in ingrained into it as some people are, but I have to know where the the beginning and the end and how I'm going to get there, and I have to drop those. I call them the breadcrumbs or mm -hmm. you know, things like that, uh, the Easter eggs or whatever. I need to drop certain things in there to hearken to what's going to happen here and. Uh, it works for me. And, and, you know, like there's times where if I'm getting to a point in the story uh, that, all right, well, oh, if this happened instead of that, it would actually be better. And I can go back to chapter four and plant something there because I got all the, the little notes sitting there and I can just drop it in and it, and it fits. I think some genres, don't you think, CJ, um, lend themselves more to being planter versus pantser and i would think historical oh. fiction would be you know would be a good example of that yeah i am a poster child for pantsers um flat out will own that every day i literally write the story and don't know where it's going but when it comes to something like historical fiction that that was part of the challenge for me because i am such a pantser because i knew the dates that i needed to hit for a pretty good reason for the dates that i wanted to hit so I did have to do specific research for those. And then I just took the story flow from there. But you do have to have, like, I need, I need, knew that it needed to go to 1813, 1922, and 1987. I just needed to know why. You know, what was it that was going on in those, those particular time periods that I wanted? Why was that important to me to hit those dates? So as a historical fiction author, it does make a little bit of a difference regarding mm -hmm. historical fiction versus something that's a little bit more modern times. Yeah, um, going that goes back to the research too. You know, you you want to make sure everything is accurate. But uh, I've read some some authors that are pantsers that fantastic stories, and I'm like, wow, 
you just this just flowed from you <laughs> you know so i mean you know stephen king's somewhat of a pantser as well i mean he's got a, really? a yeah he's got a rough outline of what he wants to do but that's what he just says he sits down and starts starts mm -hmm. writing mm -hmm. and, and the story just flows now back in the day he used to sit down with you know his typewriter on in the middle and then a pile of cocaine on one side and <laughs> a cooler of beer on the other side seriously I, if you've ever read his stephen king that would explain a lot about that <laughs> and he said he would lock him his wife would go off to work and he would lock himself in his room all day long and just have metallica playing really loud because it blocks the outside world i can't write like that mm -mm. And he would do his coke and his drinking and and then one day he was taking the empty beer cans out of his office and he realized he had a problem and he got help so i'll give him that he cleaned up from that but uh yeah i wouldn't want to be that kind of a writer <laughs> gee i wonder which which novels he wrote during that period of time that was all the way through to the, i believe it was the 90s so everything from the mid 90s before because it was i believe it was the mid 90s that he got clean mr um, geese commented he said outlining helps with historical fiction because knowing where the story goes guides what kind of historical details to research and plant exactly yep. yes yeah, I mean, with with Jazz Baby, I mean that's set in the twenties, and alcohol was illegal. Prohibition was on, so there were there were people drank still. Mm -hmm. uh, my grandfather was a bootlegger, and mm -hmm. uh, that played into it. She gets involved with people that are bootleggers and speakeasies where you can go get an illegal drink, and and you have to know that stuff. And uh, you're that's not going to go to the corner store and get a bottle of hooch down there. <laughs> and, and, uh, it wasn't going to happen. Yeah, it's totally Although nice. you could still, if you had a government permit for medicinal purposes, you mm -hmm. could go to a pharmacy and get a pint of scotch whiskey because it was considered medicinal. I don't know what it, what it would heal, but. Curious what ails you. Sure, we could get kind of creative on that with us. Authors. Sure. Oh, yeah. Uh, so you mentioned your grandparents a lot. Was that your main inspiration behind your historical fiction books? Um, the big part of it. Yeah. Big part of it. But just the, the love of the 1920s. I just, I don't know why I just had, my grandfather wrote a, um, memoir of his teen years working on a riverboat going up and down the Mississippi river. Mm -hmm. And this was during like the early to mid 1920s. And, uh, just, it was, a, I was fascinated by the, the time period and, uh, my grandfather's tales too but it not just that i grew up watching the waltons that was the 30s but i i just love that whole era mm -hmm. very cool so we were talking to mr geese last week and he mentioned y'all's podcast and how it kind of got started um hold on verwayne greenhose says a lot of potato farmers didn't grow potatoes just to eat that's right they made liquor out of it juice. <laughs> <laughs> Um, so my question is basically, um, where was I going with that? That's an ADD in me. Uh, oh, podcast. Um, so your podcast, and can you give like a brief overview for those who didn't catch um, Stephen's last week, how that got started? Well, the, I used to be part of a particular book club, not part of it anymore, but uh, they started uh, doing this. Uh, it was monthly. There was like four or five. There might have even been more. I did two of them uh once a month uh little half hour podcasts uh one was on a saturday and one was on a i think a wednesday or something like that and it was just fun bringing in authors and interviewing them but it was just authors who were part of that club mm -hmm. and uh 
once I departed the club, um, I, I thought that this is a good tool. It, it really is because you can you make fans, you reach out to people, you make connections by having them on. So uh, I got with G's and said, hey, let's do our own podcast. And we went through the same company, Blog Talk Radio. And uh, we're going on three years now. Tonight's episode is number 150. And uh, thank you. But uh, it's just with an idea. And so Wednesday nights, eight o'clock Eastern time, uh, we talk to writers, we talk to musicians, we talk to tonight's gonna, we're gonna have a comic book guy on. And uh, just, you know, anybody who's creative, it's just, Mm -hmm. uh, it's a good time. It's, like I said, it helps establish connections because a lot of these people become our friends and mm-hmm. they may have a service that if we don't need it, somebody we know needs this service so we can send them to them. So how can people listen to it? Because I know um, it's audio only. It's not a video. Yeah, it's audio only, but uh, you can go to uh, on Twitter. Here's the quickest way to do it. On Twitter, go to hashtag Fresh Ink Group, hashtag Fresh Ink Group, all one word and uh click on latest and you scroll through there you'll find all kinds of uh tweets touting the show and you can click on those tweets and it'll open it up into where you can listen to it through twitter um yeah so and then we got a a newsletter and the link is always in the newsletter but uh for those who don't get the newsletter twitter we have a the twitter account for that show is at voice of indie okay and then the other is at fresh ink group at Fresh Ink Group. Okay, but and they, how can they find, how can they get on like the newsletter? Um, go to freshinggroup.com and uh, you can find, uh, I believe it is on the podcast page, at the top of the podcast page, there's a link, you can click on it and it, you can sign up for the newsletter. Very cool. So Fresh Ink Group, click podcast and at the top of the podcast page is yeah. Now your Fresh Ink Group all, also offers other services for authors, do they not? Other writers? Oh, definitely. Uh, full full services. We do uh, publishing. We do editing. We do audiobooks. We do book trailers. We do uh, you name it, we do it. If we don't know how to do it, we'll figure it out. Uh, Stephen says homepage at the bottom. Yeah, homepage at the bottom is where you can sign up for it. But I also put a link in on the podcast page some time mm-hmm. ago at the very top of the podcast. And while you're there, you can scroll down and check out some past episodes of the podcast. Mm-hmm. You guys are always publishing books. So I noticed that when I get the newsletter, because I do get your newsletter. You guys okay. have a lot to come out. What's the average? Yeah. Oh, uh, I don't know what the average is. I just know that it's a lot. <laughs> I'm currently editing three other books right now that will be ready to go here before too long. Plus, I'm producing another audio book for an author out in Colorado. Okay. How do you have time for all of that? That's a good question because because you know I I'm getting paid for this so that, that comes first. Give me grief for everything I do, but you. <laughs> well, that's my own writing. It kind of takes the back seat to that, so that's why you know it's it's taken me so long getting this novel done. But uh, I'm I'm getting paid to do this, and I enjoy it. So uh, yeah, it's working working that into the schedule. It's I work from home, so I'm I'm good. So. Okay. Now CJ has my own hours. CJ has Texas Sisters Press, mm-hmm. and uh, and she's heard horror stories, and of course I have as well. And, and I think we asked Stephen this last week, but um, if someone is wanting to 
get a manuscript published, what are some things that you would recommend they would do and not do, particularly when it comes to fly-by-night publishing operations? You, what you mean, like looking for, is it from a publisher? Yes. In other words, yeah. How can, what are the signs that if someone is trying, hey, look, we love your book, we want to publish your book, what are some of the signs that you have, uh, uh, again, one of these unscrupulous fly-by-night operations? Okay. Well, I think uh, Stephen, you know, pretty much handled most of that last week. But uh, the one thing I think I typed it in here, too, for my comment was um, look for ownership of your own, own work. There, I've, We've run into so many authors that have gone with another author and then they come to us and they don't even own their own work anymore. It belongs to somebody else. So now they're trying to figure out a way to get it back. And with Freshing Group, we don't own anything that's that, that belongs to you. And then there's the royalties, too. If you're getting, you know, 10 percent and they're taking the bulk, it's not worth it. I think we offer 75 percent. So that's you're going to get the bulk of what you earn. Um, but also uh, uh, looking at if somebody takes your manuscript and they're like, hey, let's get this published right now. Red flags. They haven't even read it. They mm -hmm. Most even the best writers still need an, an editor's eyes to go through the work. Mm -hmm. uh, I edit my own stuff as I'm writing it and going through it, but I always turn it over to Stephen G's uh, as my editor to comb through it, and he'll find things that my eyes miss because I'm too close to it. Mm -hmm. uh, you you want to make sure you're putting your best work out there, and if somebody's ready to take your stuff and and you're a new author and you're not sure if if this is your look, we got some really good writers that come to us, but there's always something in there that needs fixing. Always. I've never seen a perfect, I've seen some near perfect manuscripts, but I've never seen a perfect manuscript. Mm -hmm. So yeah. if somebody's ready to, you know, just the moment you hand them that, let's get it published. Eh, you might want to back off that one. Yeah. I mean, we're the same. We read through all of them before we publish them. Yeah. I mean, it's may not be ready. And it's, yeah, I mean, there's, there's all kinds of things that, that uh, there's, you're looking for, you know, you started this chapter past tense and now suddenly the character's talking in the present tense. <laughs> that, that happens a lot. Mm -hmm. Or the head hopping for point of view. Well, who's mm -hmm. telling the story here? Although, you know, this, one, this one chapter, it's like. Although there's some best-selling authors that do that quite a bit. Yeah, you know? yeah. I do head hop, but you know who's talking and who's not. Well, yeah, that's, you know, I mean, yeah, it just it depends on how it's done. Um, but yeah, you have to make sure that do you have rights when that one publishing company, were you one of those authors, Mike? Uh, well, uh, yes, that's a long story. Yeah, it was uh, back when traditional publishing companies still existed and got a 25, 30% royalty, did most of the promotional work myself. And then that was back beam when ebooks were starting to come on strongly and brick and mortar bookstores are going out of business left and right. And so were publishing companies, large and small. So mm -hmm. my publishing company went out of business and um, which actually worked better for me because of some of the things that you and both CJ have mentioned, you know, it actually was bad at the time, but it actually worked out best because I was able to get the book back and had far more success and got most of the royalties. Yeah, well, there you it's, go. it's hard to get the book back. So just kind of got to watch that. I like Texas Sisters Press. They have copyrights to everything except for the ISBN number, because, as you know, it's attached to the company that publishes the, comp the book. Yeah, yeah. 
but I mean, other than that, ours get like 90% of their royalties from Ingram and full Kindle, like at a hundred percent. So it's like, it just depends on, you know, what, what they're trading for. And the only reason I asked that and the only reason I've asked it twice, you know, of you and Steven is because uh, I hear this from writer, you know, people who want to get a book published all the time. And they're telling me, Hey, this guy's going to charge $10,000. going to be put in all these different venues, you know, and I said, you know, I mean, no, <laughs> yeah. yeah, no, that, or I guarantee you'll be at your bestseller status, or I guarantee X amount of books will be sold. That's the thing to stay away from the guarantees because there is no guarantee, there are no guarantees in this business. Mm -hmm. That's right. Yeah, when we wait with all of our authors. The first thing I say is if you are doing this to get rich, you're in the wrong business. Yeah. And now you got to compete with AI writing mm -hmm. stories, which is ridiculous. Oh my gosh. Yeah. Um, so we have a few minutes left, actually about a minute left. If you had like one gold nugget to give to somebody, one you know primary piece of advice to give to somebody who was interested in writing historical fiction, what would that be? Do your research. Dig deep. Uh, before you sit down and start writing, as you're plotting it out, if you're a plotter or if you're a pantser, before you even start writing the story, do your research. Have everything in front of you ready to go. And as you're going along, if you don't know about something, you can do the Google search or whatever. But uh, know what you're doing, know what your story is going to be before you start to write it uh, in terms of the history, the, the era. You don't want to throw in there like, you know, it's 1941 and somebody's racing in a uh, Ford Pinto to, to go pick up his girlfriend at the, you know, at the airport. It just. Or you know, like the radio. Wearing where his Air Jordans. Yeah. Or wearing his Air Jordans. <laughs> We hadn't even existed yet. Uh, <laughs> no, I totally agree with that. Well, thank you so much for coming on, Beam. You and both you and Stephen were amazing guests, and we're happy to have you guys come on anytime. Let us know. Well, um, thank you for having me. Definitely. In the meantime, for those who want to learn more about Beam Weeks and also probably the Fresh Ink Group and all of their Voice of Indie podcast, you can find him at beamweeks.com. That's B-E-E-M-W-E-E-K-S.com. Um, so make sure to check them out there. Next week, we're going to have George Dismukes back, and we're going to be oh. talking about screenplay writing. Mm. So make sure to check that out. It'll be next Wednesday at 1 o'clock p.m. Central time, Central time, same place you found us today. In the meantime, have a great week, and we will see you guys next week. Bye. Bye, Bye. everybody.